Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Really excited about today's topic. We are talking HIPAA compliance, and we are joined actually by one of our partners um, that we use and trust, um, with the owner, Gil, of HIPAA Vault. I'm really excited because he is hands down one of the leading experts in this space, especially the digital space and talking hosting and some of the other things. So Gil, before we get started, introduce yourself. Thank you so much for taking a little time out of your busy schedule to talk about what is a really hot emerging topic, especially with some new developments in the marketing space. So thanks for joining us. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. I, I appreciate the invite to be here part of your podcast, and I hope you'll join my podcast some other time. So this is this will be great. My name is Theo Vidal. I'm the founder of Vault. And the short version of my story, Justin, is that I was in the hosting space all the way back. This is going to date myself to 1997. Okay. And the audience can think back to 1997. That's when the internet was still coming around. Some of your neighbors. Yeah, for sure. And so I had jumped it early and my father had put some money into this business. I said to my dad, I want to start a business on the internet. And he said, well, what's the internet? I, I know it's not, I'm not, I'm actually not joking. This is the conversations back then. So I explained to him, it's a network of computers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I would ask some trusted colleagues and friends, I would say, look, I want to start this business on the internet, web hosting. And some of them would literally say, well, you know, the internet's primarily for criminals. It takes a lot of resources, a lot of power. I don't think this thing's going to be around very long. And there was a newspaper article that came out that said the internet's, you know, you know it's just a fad. It'll, it'll be gone. So it was a very difficult decision, Justin, believe it or not. And I thought, I'm going to take my chances. I think this internet concept has legs under it. I think it's going to be around for a while. So I went ahead and took some money that my dad gave me, started this business. It was just generalized web hosting and it, it went okay. As you can imagine back in those days, you know, trying to get customers, there wasn't any marketing experts like you around. We were just trying to slug it out. Very different. But what happened next is interesting. I started getting off the ground, generating revenue and the hosting marketplace took off and there was competition. And what I noticed that I'd get a phone call and someone would say, I'd like to host with you. But I noticed that this other guy here, instead of paying you $99, I get $49. So I lowered the price again and again. Finally, one day I woke up and I thought, wait a minute, Google's offering hosting for free. How can I win in a world where you can get it? Yeah. So I, I had a customer, thank God, that called me and says, you know, I've been with you for a while. I like your service. But have you ever hosted a site that has medical data and follow the different regulations? And I said, I don't know a hippo from a hippo. <laughs> and so he was very patient with me. He liked the service in general. So he taught me this first customer back in 2010. So he's, he was my first HIPAA client. So since then, I completely changed. And by the way, he said, hey, instead of paying you 50 bucks a month, I'll pay you $500 a month. And I go, okay, this, this is starting to make sense, right? I can actually make a profit. I can hire people. So yeah, that was a, uh, a moment of enlightenment. And... Then, of course, I converted, I pivoted on that and started changing our, our website and focus and learning it, hiring people and training them. So that, that's how I got my start. Oh, I love it. That's, that's such an excellent story. Yeah. I mean, and you did what every entrepreneur does is kind of as things evolve, you're looking for that differentiator, especially like a market like email or hosting as it evolved. And again, you can't compete with free and you can't compete with the, the multi-billion dollar titans and you're able right. to carve out what is a, a needed service. And before, because I obviously want to talk about some of the marketing implications, especially related to some of this HHSS stuff that has evolved. But before we even do that, 
having been in this space for over 10 years, working directly with private medical practices. HIPAA is also obviously, I think most people listening, most administrators in the back end would say they've got a decent grasp on HIPAA, that they're doing the things that they need to on any of the PHI and EHR and EMR related side. But surprisingly, that's not the case. And there's actually a lot of stuff, even when we come in as a, a new vendor for an organization, that they'll start even just wild, wild west sending stuff over email or with shared emails or Gmails that are non-secure and they're not following things by the books from a HIPAA standpoint, surprisingly. So I really wanted to back up with all of your time and expertise in this space and really talk about whether we want to call it the 101s or the common things that you see practices when taking HIPAA in consideration and security concerns, especially as this just continues to become a much larger issue, is walk me through and then we'll talk in more detail about some of these most common, call it top three or whatever you think, things that you often see practices kind of even shot to a, a point shockingly doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really it, vulnerable. Yeah. That, that's a great way to start off the conversation. So in my family, it so happens I'm the only one that didn't go into some branch of medicine. So I'm quite familiar. My, my father was a, was a surgeon, my mom a nurse, my sister nurse. And these doctors are very, of course, they're very intelligent people, but they're very busy, right? And they are experts in their field. And they like to just leave the rest of this stuff to the administrators. And what I see is one common practice is to use an email account. They have the sort of the office email account that their patients can send them information, maybe as an x-ray or explanation treatment. And this is a shared account. So there's a couple of problems with that. One is, although it's convenient to have a shared account because you have different staff coming in on different days and you want them all to access that email. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. But that violates a security practice, which is you need to have each employee has to have an identifiable email address that's just for them. And the reason for that is pretty important. Let's say that something bad were to happen. That email went to that. Let's say they sent it to the wrong person mm-hmm. or something bad like that. And so now that, that person they sent it to has some confidential information they should have never received. And you are the manager of the office or you're the medical practitioner. You need to narrow down, well, who did this? You'd have no way of knowing because you've got a staff and who knows? It's a shared account. So first thing is don't share the account. Everyone should have their own email. And in this day, that's, that's easy to do. The second one is that email service should be encrypted end to end and it shouldn't have two factor authentication enabled. Now, a year or two ago, that was a little bit tricky, like, oh, two factors kind of high tech, but now they all have this, everybody, the oh, banks, everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows how to use it. So flip the switch on, turn on the two factor authentication and have everyone use an individual, individualized email address. So that's, that's a little hanging crude. The other thing I see is that with the websites, everybody has a website now it's like a business card. And the problem I see there is that these websites, although they may be very simple. And the medical practitioner may say, well, I don't need HIPAA compliance with my website. Look, it's just brochureware. It's just advertising what we do. But then you, you click around and you notice they have a form, right? And the form is just, well, tell me who you are. I'm interested in seeing Dr. So-and-so at the office. And they have a little area called the comment field. And they start putting in there all sorts of mm-hmm. confidential medical information. This is what I have. And I deal with this. They hit the submit button and that's received by the website. Well, guess what? You now have protected health information is sitting on some server that you have no idea who's controlling that or if they're following the guidelines. 
The best thing to do there is to have a BAA business associate agreement signed with your hosting provider, which is the first clue that they do know what they're doing, or at least purport to know what they're doing and that they have, they're following the guidelines. So make sure whoever you're hosting with, that you have the BA signed with them. And I think those probably the, the low hanging crew. Um, I got a, I have I a question going back to the, to the email. So what do you do, I guess, without getting overly complicated? Because obviously it's all about, especially with all of the staff coming in and out, like you alluded to, which is why they lean on a shared email. What is the solution that is a secure one? Is it having an intranet or what is that then to be able when you, when everybody then say somebody's listening, they've, they're doing the shared email. So they're like, all right, we got to get individual emails. They probably right. have them, but we need to stop using the shared one. Right. What do you recommend in terms of them easily still being able to have universal access, so to speak, to things that would require potentially like somebody that comes sure. in, does appointment setting in the morning, and then sure, they sure. need to be able to have something the fluidly to mm -hmm. manage, especially appointment setting. Yeah. Well, I think that there are services that you can enable. A lot of people use either Outlook. Mm -hmm. or now they call it Office 365 yeah. or Google Gmail. Those are the big, big ones. And well, Google has a pretty neat feature that can be enabled quite easily. And it is called confidentiality mode. So if you enable that, what it does is it, it ensures encryption, which is mm -hmm. important. And also when the recipient, the patient receives the information, they're not allowed to download the document that's attached, or they're not even allowed to take a screenshot. They can try to take a screenshot, but it won't let them. Now, way around that, of course, they could use their camera, but it doesn't allow you to do anything on your computer that would take that information and give it to somebody else. So I think that would be a, a good option. For Outlook, they also have a pretty simple method to enable encryption. And one way they do that with, with Office 365 is you can put a keyword in the subject. You can say to your staff, anytime you put the word encrypt or yes. security or something yeah. in the subject, then Office 365 Outlook knows that, okay, this, this message has that in the subject. So we're going to make sure it's encrypted end to end. Uh, and that's only one method and without looking very flexible, you could say, well, I don't want to bother. What if somebody mistypes that keyword? I'd rather have every single email go encrypted. And it could be set up that way. Those are important things. Now with Google, I do want to say one more thing, Justin, and that is that unfortunately Google has a very high cost. It's like $600 plus annually to enable end to end encryption. If you do want your patients to be able to download a document you sent to their computer, then you need to buy this extra module that's from Virtue. Virtue is the security partner, Google, and that's what it costs. And so that's why a lot of individuals end up going to Outlook because they don't have a steep cost. They bake it into the individual cost per month. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Oh, that's good to know. So switching gears a, a little bit to the the marketing front, because you even mentioned the BAA side, like we always put mm -hmm. BAAs in place with all of our clients. Again, as an extra layer of production, we don't make a habit out of exchanging PHI back and forth mm -hmm. with clients. But just like you said, it can be something as simple as a patient filling in a message box with what would be considered PHI information. And then obviously an agency like ourselves having access to WordPress can go in and view that information as well. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to kind of the, one of the big elephants in the room, especially that has since December is these HSS guidelines. 
that I still think have a very long way to go. There's so much gray area, but the listeners, if you may be unaware of it, HHS or HSS came out with some parameters around tracking for covered entities and unauthenticated web pages and kind of what the, how to distinguish the two and what you can and can't do. That's really kind of thrown a wrench. And again, there's a lot of gray area in there that I think everybody is trying to figure out that hopefully will be further explained over the coming months and years. But that says these third-party tracking, which most people are familiar with, formerly Facebook, now Meta, Metapixel, Google Ads, tracking Google Ads through Google Tag Manager, a lot of these apparatuses like Google Analytics, which is on its way to be moonlit on the end of this month, and then everybody moving, forced moved over, if you haven't already, to Google Analytics 4, which does have some first-party versus third-party tracking stuff to consider um, kind of in response to what's been a long time coming on the Europe-based tracking protocols. But it's pretty much saying if you are doing things that could potentially provide access to PHI, like a self-scheduler, obviously any type of login portals into an EMR, which has been a given, but surprisingly a lot of health systems have gotten in a lot of trouble lately for putting like Metapixel inside of their EMR <laughs> login portal and then remarketing people, which is obviously a huge no-no. But what HSS has said is even things like self-appointment scheduling because people are filling out insurance information and other pieces of what are deemed PHI, even down to just potentially an IP address, you can't send that information back to something like Metapixel because, as you mentioned, Gil, these BAAs and BAAs being really essential to these third parties that a private practice is working with or just any type of healthcare organization that has privy to this information and what they are willing to do to protect that information. And most of the aspects in terms of advertising and analytics related to Google, they won't put BAAs in place. So now you have these third-party tracking pixels, which are really the household names for marketing universally really across the world and obviously in the United States that you can't use anymore. And it's opened this huge can of worms for these certain specific things. Like for our clients in particular, it's self-patient appointment scheduling. Like all of a sudden, you can't have third-party tracking. So... I'd love, because I know you've even been dealing with this as it's evolved, and then I can talk to you a little bit kind of how we've been helping our clients as it's evolved address it, but HIPAA compliant hosting, why it's so critical and some of the things that can be done in terms of, of tracking in an environment like what HIPAA Vault offers so you don't lose all of that data. And there are some options plus a couple other things, but I'd love to hear kind of your your feedback on it as you, I know, even have clients that have come to you that says, HSS is saying this, what can we do, especially as it relates to our HIPAA compliant hosting that you provide to not go dark? Yeah, that's, this is a very challenging area. Like you said earlier, this, uh, what HSS has declared, this is a problem, but again, it's, it's open. Like you said, there's a lot of gray area and those are always difficult to deal with. Before we delve into that, I did want to mention, and we can cover this a little bit later too, is the we talked about email earlier, but we don't want to forget mm -hmm. about texting. Texting is a big yes. deal now. Oh, texting yeah. Absolutely. has a higher open rate than email. So if you want to get a hold of somebody, a lot of these offices are doing, picture the same exact thing I mentioned, all the same thing with email, but they're doing it now with texting. They have mm -hmm. one mobile phone in the office. Everyone uses that app on the desktop or that mobile phone to text every other patients from one single account. So same thing apply. You need to think about using a text platform that will sign a BAA. But as far as this tracking technology, we've had several customers now, Justin, that have 
called us and said, Hey, can you spin up one of these Matomo boxes? It's a server that has the software called Matomo. And they're interested all of a sudden. We noticed we're getting more calls about that because they've read the same declaration that you and I read that's saying, uh oh, if you're putting these metapixels and tracking, they realize you're going to get in trouble. So they've decided to bring it in house, so to speak, and build their own server and kind of take ownership of it because I think metapixel got a bit of a slap on the wrist for what they were doing as well. But for, for our audience, I just want to, I want to emphasize that this tracking is important, by the way, it's not something that you might say to yourself, well, I'm just going to get rid of that. If we heard Justin's podcast, let's just kibosh it and be done with it. You don't want to do that because as Justin well knows, marketing and tracking is pivotal and key to being able to have a successful web presence where you need to track and measure and have your KPIs. How many visitors am I getting? How long do they stay on the web? Yeah. Et cetera? This is the modern digital world. So don't audience out there, please don't just turn it off. That would not be the right thing to do. One thing that you can do, especially if you're not technical, you say, well, gosh, these guys are telling me this stuff. What do I do? Well, keep in mind that your website likely has the open public facing area that anyone with a laptop can just read your website. Then you have your authenticated area. That's the part where they have to log in. Mm -hmm. That part's not for the public. That's only for your members, your patients. So kind of just think about that as a dividing point. As long as you don't have tracking behind the authenticated part, or if you do have tracking, at least you've done it in a, in a safe way then that would be the beginning of you being able to have an intelligent conversation with your provider that's helping you with all this marketing. Say, hey, you don't just say, hey, I, I need to find out where do we have the tracking? Is it behind the authenticated pages or just the public ones? And that'll get them, that'll spark something in their mind. They might go, oh, no, I better go check this. <laughs> you know what? They don't want to get in trouble. So I, I would say for the audience, at least start with, those are the very basic things you can do. I would start there and that gets the conversation rolling. And then I think you'll feel, you'll start feeling better about, Hey, at least I've taken some action. I'm not just sitting here waiting for my IT guy to try to figure it out because they don't, they, they, you know, frankly, they probably don't know either. Now, Justin's company, they're experts in it. So of course I highly recommend Justin's services to any of you to, to look into that for you. What I'm really excited about, I mean, obviously, because we've been working on something ourselves, but I just think in general, because as, as you know, really even better than I do. Healthcare tends to lag, especially in the technology space. Mm -hmm. And first for since really the inception of a lot of these digital marketing apparatuses that practices rely on like Facebook and Google and Google ads and all of that stuff is we really haven't progressed much in a lot of the tracking and analytics space. We still just rely kind of on what they provided. And I do think that this will and can present an opportunity for organizations to start investing in better tracking solutions that are more secure. And that can then tell, I think, an even deeper story long-term in a secure environment about what the patient journey looks like. Because for a long time, HIPAA compliance or not, and this HSS stuff or not, it's all been really fragmented and broken. You've got like top of funnel stuff. You've got people submitting requests for appointments or self-scheduling those appointments, and then they land inside of an EMR and then the story is just disconnected. And what I hope to see is with these guidelines coming out and 
them wanting us to be more proactive in what information we are sending and receiving on in the marketing funnel, that it will create some harmony over time between all of these different pieces of the puzzle and doing it in a secure environment, like something that you provide. So we can build out better mousetraps and ultimately better serve patient in terms of continuity of care and just all of these things that really have been broken for the longest of time because we've been relying on Facebook Facebook pixel or meta pixel to tell us a portion of the story. Yeah, I that is important. I did want to mention also something maybe I glossed over earlier is that it's easy for the head or the administrator of this medical practice. It doesn't necessarily need to be the medical practitioner, but whoever is administering the office, I, I do see a tendency for people to go too quickly to their IT consultant. Right. The first thing they do, oh, this is you know, I'm busy. And Justin said we got to be careful. I'll just call my IT consultant. Now, this used to be the case. I think this is why this happened. It used to be the case when I first started my business back when the internet was invented, you only had IT specialists and th there wasn't anyone else. And they yep. knew mm -hmm. whatever was in technology land. But warped ahead 20 years, the IT guy doesn't know everything about IT. He only knows his specialty, which is let me connect the firewall, your phone system, and that's about it. If you ask them about this stuff, about tracking and all of that, it's going to, they're, they're going to be like, their eyes are going to glaze over. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Justin, Justice Company is an expert in that. You know, there are others that are experts in that. And you have to be careful. Don't just entrust everything to your IT guy, assuming that he knows all things about IT. And that's just not the way it works anymore. You have to go to a specialist and help you with these things to secure your tracking and to secure your your website. Some of the things that we're doing, Justin, that you asked about earlier that I want the audience to know about, when you have a trusted partner that does your website. One other thing that's important is to have a compliance manager and the job of the compliance manager is to keep an eye on compliance. And one of the ways they do that is they run these scans every, at least every month on your website and they will look at the website and they'll say, oh, we've got a hole, we've got a vulnerability. And then they, what they call is they remediate the vulnerability, open a ticket with the engineer or with the customer and they've got to figure out, hey, we got a, a weakness here. We need to patch that up. And that's a great question. In fact, it's the only question that I would give the audience if they're going to remember one thing. Well, how do I know if my web hosting provider is a good one? How do I know that? Mm -hmm. Well, one, one question you can figure out, you could just ask, you could call up your web hosting provider and say, I'd like to speak to the compliance manager. Now, one or two things will happen. They'll either say, well, we don't have one, which is like, <laughs> okay, that's bad. That's yeah. really bad. Or they might say, well, we have one, but he, he doesn't have time to talk to you. Yeah. That's not so good either. Yeah. You want to, what gives you the warm fuzzy is when you call and they say, sure, his name is Henry and we can set up an appointment and you can talk to him. That's the answer you want to get because then what he'll do is Henry can show you the compliance report on the video share and show you all the vulnerabilities, if there are any, and what he's doing to actively mitigate those. And then, you know, you've got a company that's actively working on your, on your website to keep it secure. Yeah, that, those are really great points. And, and even like you and I talked about kind of the lead up into this podcast. And, and like I told the listeners early on is, is we are a partner of y'all's. We use y'all for our clients, for hosting solutions, for anything related to covered entity or e-commerce, that type of stuff. And really one of the biggest reasons is kind of what you alluded to is, especially when you're looking at the small to medium sized practice is you just can't, can't be a master of all of these areas and you need an expert like yourself in this space that goes much further than just like, well, we have IT so they can hover, cover all of the HIPAA compliance related to all of the things that we've talked about. 
And that's really not the case. That's stretching them way outside of their wheelhouse and asking too much of them, just like it would be to come to us because we do, we build websites and ask to set up an entire like email infrastructure and phone system for a practice. Like that's way outside of our our wheelhouse and what we do. And what I love about what y'all do is you really can become that compliance officer in this space for them because of how white glove that you are in your approach. And that was a really big deciding factor when we went out and looked for options out there in this HIPAA compliant hosting and space and everything that you talked about that y'all provide. And that's really key because you've got to have somebody that has constant oversight on this and is investing in the resources and the people to make sure that you're buttoned up. And it's so much easier to just farm that out to somebody like yourself than to try to tackle that when a mistake is hugely costly and the ramifications and the ripple effects of having a breach or a violation for one of these things that could be easily avoided for just going. Yeah. I'd like to interject there, Justin, and the medical professionals, they know that let's say they're having a a heart problem Mm -hmm. and they have to have heart surgery. They're not going to go to an endocrinologist or a gynecologist. (laughs) You have people laughing. Oh, well, that's funny. Why would you do that? Well, keep in mind that IT world's the same way, right? If you have a problem with tracking, you need to go to a company like Justin or HIPAA to show so you have to figure out who's the specialist now, because we're way past the day where the general, the GP practitioner can just solve all problems for everybody. Those days are long gone. You have to have a specialist. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the text message that you mentioned, because it was kind of right before we got into all the HSS stuff. Is there any other advice you have around that? Because even as a function of marketing and a, and a function of patient communication on the ready, like you said, it's just so critically important, but outside mm-hmm. of maybe adoption with an EMR that offers like a PM system that has some text message, it's still very, very underutilized across the medical space, surprisingly. So any other tips that you have in terms of a practice that's maybe not utilizing text message or potentially using it in an unsecure manner yeah. to get over to start using mm-hmm. that as an apparatus for patient communication? Yeah, yeah I, I think, first of all, it's good to talk a little bit about the texting and why, why does it matter? And we have different ways to communicate. Some doctors send me little cards in the mail, a mailer, mm-hmm. like in an email or text. So we have different ways to communicate as humans now. And what happens in technology is when email first came out, everybody read every single email, right? It was novel. It's like, oh, look, I got an email. I'm going to read that. Oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> so your open rate, they call it the open rate. I mean, we actually look at the email, open it, and read it. So that was very, very high, 80, 90%. Well, guess what? Email open rates dropped to like 2%, right? Most people just ignore the email. They're lucky if they even read the title because it gets so much junk. So what happens, there's an evolution that's happened. Now with text, when we send a broadcast out, to partners, we noticed one day that, hey, if we send them a text, they're replying at a much, much higher rate than if we email them. So we switched to let's use text, right? Because you want people to see the message. Otherwise, why would you send? And so medical practices are noticing the same thing. They're saying, hey, when we have to confirm an appointment or we need to reach out to a patient, let's text them because everyone has a little smartphone and people just tend to respond to text more often. So that's the reason why you want to use text as opposed to email. Now, what happens with texting? Well, it's the same as email. It needs to be encrypted end to end. I mean, it's from your phone. Now, another thing we should mention is that texting is no longer relegated to simply from the physical smartphone. You can now put a texting app on your Windows 
or Macintosh computer and your, your staff could sit there and text a broadcast out to your patients or remind them about an appointment. So that needs to be encrypted. And, and, and it's the same thing as email. You need to have a BAA signed with your texting mm -hmm. provider. And that, that's something that you want to follow the same model. You want to make sure that's, that's completely encrypted and, and, and you don't want to be sharing that account. You don't want everyone in the office sharing the same texting ID or phone number. You want to be able to say, well, who sent this message to this person? You got to be able to track all of that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've talked about some things that would, I guess, consider have been around for a while in terms of this conversation around HIPAA, especially in a digital space, some things newer, like the HSS stuff that is kind of ever evolving. And to me, it's, it speaks volumes that they've even kind of jumped into the marketing space now outside of some of the a more run of the mill. What do you see is the future of this space from a HIPAA compliance and to just digital in general over the next year or two? Because again, even if you look like you talked about like 2010, I mean, it's still relatively new 13 years that you've really taken this space head on. So it's still really emerging. And again, even for me now having conversations around tracking and analytics in a HIPAA compliant situation is was such a foreign concept even three to five years ago. What do you see that, where is the space headed in, in your mind? Yeah, well, this is going to get a little, maybe a little heady, but it, it's something that I've been thinking about for a while and I'm, I'm starting to understand it. But what's been happening in the last 25 years is there was this big battle. I call it the good against the bad, those that are trying to hack in and steal and the good guys, the medical practitioners that just want to do their practice, right? And then you're there, the email's trying to get hacked into the phishing attempts. So what I've noticed is that it's almost a game over period where we finally realize that us technologists, we finally realize the bad guys are always going to win. And the reason why is because the good guys are coming up with new technology all the time, but it's all software based. So we'll make a change of software and then they go, oh, I can't hack in, but let me, let me change our approach and mm -hmm. we'll find another hole. Yeah. So it's a cat and mouse game. It's never ending. So the conclusion is kind of like bad guys will, will always be able to find a hole and there is some novel things coming up where you have to, where it's kind of a philosophical change where you have to start thinking, well, we can't always base everything just on software. We need something in the physical world to anchor the security. And by that, I'll give you an example. So if you have one of these UV keys that some medical practices have, where it's, it's, you have to push it into the computer, plug it into the USB port, and then that will decrypt, say, your email. Mm -hmm. Or that's, that's what Google Google has that, so by the way. You can go to Google, yeah, for sure. and you yeah. just plug it in, and you say, well, what difference does that make? Well, guess what? You have that key. It's a physical, it's in the physical world now. And you're the only one that has that. So once you have security that enters the physical world, it's a game changer because the bad guy can't just make their own key or they, they have to drive to your place from, from China or Russia or Ukraine or wherever it's located and steal that from you. So now you've elevated the game to a point where, wow, they're not going to be able to beat that particular guy. So what, I, what I've been learning recently is that security that's strictly in the software world is always evolving because software is just an expression of code. Anyone can write code. A high school kid can write it, whoever. So as long as you can just type on a keyboard and write code, you're going to be able to figure out ways to get around security and it's never going to end. But as soon as you introduce a physical element into your security stack, now you're talking about, okay, now I've got some protection that those guys just can't type a new workaround. So this is very new and kind of recent thinking, but 
just keep that in back of your mind that when you're looking at security, if there's a physical aspect to it, that elevates it to a new level. And I think that's where I see the future is in the future, we're all going to have maybe a, a fingerprint or something that's physical that we're going to introduce into the scenario. That's, that's a really good point. Cause even as you were talking, my mind goes to the other end on the patient side and there's a lot to really worry about there too. Cause even if you just use the baby boomer population that has kind of, this has been adopted later in life. And then all of a sudden you're unifying a lot of these patient records and you're, it's going cloud and everybody's been pushing for the patient having access to everything versus like you have physical records living in the 16 different offices of the different practices you've been in over your life. Yeah. It also poses another huge security risk that you're putting in the hands of the patient because all of a sudden they have access to their whole entire right. patient history and right. because they use the same password for absolutely everything, somebody can get access to that. And now they have access to really their whole livelihood, so to speak, of their entire medical history all in one place that really never existed until just a few years ago. So that'll be really interesting to see is these providers that are making that possible is how do they help the inpatient protect themselves as well as they're going to be a much more vulnerable even than a lot of the organizations that are, are staying up on this to try to keep things secure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that that's also novel that's that introduces that physical element that we discussed is the blockchain. We could go down a rabbit hole in the blockchain, but essentially the blockchain is a place where these innovators are starting to store medical data because the blockchain, by the way, is protected physically. And mm -hmm. that's the key part of blockchain. I was trying to say physically, what do I mean? Well, there's thousands of computers that access the ledger and they have to prove their authenticity by being able to generate, uh, using CPU power, they have to be able to generate a certain amount of hashing algorithms, all this computer science stuff, but essentially they have to generate real, real energy using electricity. And that's something that is interesting because a hacker now can't just type on their keyboard hacker they have to expend equal amount of energy or more meaning tie together hundreds of machines, thousands of machines to launch an attack. And that's not cheap. All of a sudden they go, oh, wait a minute, to attack this network, I got to spend, you know, $5 million. Mm -hmm. And they, they yeah. probably not, they're gonna, yeah. maybe, probably don't need to do that. So blockchain is another, another method that you can hear about in the future that's coming pretty quickly. And then the last one, I can say that AI, there are now tools that can use leverage AI to look for these attackers that are morphing, trying to get in and the AI, instead of just a set algorithm can also morph with the bad actor who's trying to get in and they could change. And so the bad actors are unfortunately, they're already ahead of us. They're already using AI more than the good guys. Mm -hmm. You know, those bad guys, they always try to stay one step ahead and they are really using yeah. AI. So now us, us on the good side, we are now we're like, okay, now I got to use AI to protect against that AI. And so as you, as you can see, it's a never ending battle. You have to have your partners in place to help you with all this because otherwise, you know, it will be overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Gil, for coming on. And again, I know, I know enough to probably be scared and enough to keep our clients protected from that side of things at a high level. So it's really nice. Right. It's actually a topic we have not covered in detail in almost a hundred episodes now. So I really appreciate oh, you wow. coming on and obviously all the work that you do to keep some of our clients safe and. Before we wrap up, tell the audience that has been listening 
How do they connect with you? And then also from a HIPAA vault standpoint, how do they get more information on what you're providing to clients that we talked about today? Sure. Of course, we're at HIPAAVault.com and you can type HIPAAVault in Twitter and you can get some more information. We're always available to answer questions. So don't be shy. Drop us a, a note. And we'll answer your questions. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again, Gil. And we'll make sure we have all of that stuff in the show notes and stay tuned for more episodes of the Patient Convert podcast over the summer. And thank you all for listening. Thanks to you, Justin. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks. Check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.